Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor for Anime Feminist, and you can find the stuff I do on Twitter, at Writer Vry, and the other podcast I co-host, at TrashPod. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Um, I am a staff writer and editor for Anime Feminist. I also have my own uh, feminist blog, heroineproblem.com, heroine with an E, where I talk a lot about shoujo manga uh, in particular. Hi, I'm Dee Hogan. I'm the managing editor at Anime Feminist. I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. And this is a podcast I have been begging to do for a very long time. This uh, is a series retrospective on The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, which came out in 2012 under by TMS, and is probably in my top five, if not my top three, all-time anime. It is um, on my short list of uh, actually feminist anime. I've talked about before how um, my standards for what I will call feminist are very, very um, particular. And the woman called Fujiko Mine definitely meets those. What can you, for readers who, listeners, sorry, who don't know uh, kind of the, the standards there, what, what, yeah, how do you decide that? Um, it has to specifically address um, how women are treated in some way. Um, you can't just gloss over it with like, she is living happily in this world where she has equal opportunities. Um, it has to specifically address uh, the realities that women in the world uh, live with and deal with or how they're presented in media. Um, you know, other series, I like another series I call feminist is um, Revolutionary Girl Utena, uh, Maria the Virgin Witch. Um... We should do a podcast on that one at there, some point, too. Oh, man, that would be really good. Not enough people have seen that. Um, <laughs> I feel like there are other ones, but they're not coming to mind right at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's a short list. It is. It's a very short list. Yeah, this is a very unusual anime. Uh, and these two, bless their hearts, are going to indulge me now while I spool out for you listeners a kind of potted history of how this anime came to be. Uh, because Lupin the Third is a very, very old franchise. The manga began in 1967, and it was first developed into an anime. In fact, the first attempt to do an anime aimed at adult audiences in 1971. So, the woman called Fujiko Mine was conceived for the 40th anniversary of the premiere of the television anime. And it, it didn't quite make it. It's about four months off that 71 Green Jacket started in October of 1971, and Fujiko Mine aired in the spring season of 2012. And it is quite unusual because it's very unlike, in some ways, the rest of the franchise. It very much harkens back to the designs of the first couple volumes of the manga by Monkey Punch. It has that very dark aesthetic... And it has the dark kind of mentality of the earliest manga, which most people don't think of because later incarnations of the series got increasingly lighter and PG-13 and kind of shenanigans-y. But the first couple volumes of the manga are dark and cruel 
and kind of sadistic, and so are the earliest episodes of the anime, and I think people kind of forget that. Mm-hmm. It's definitely been more of a family thing uh, for several decades. Like, um, Hayao Miyazaki actually, in his first anime gig, came on to Green Jacket halfway through because they just did not know what they were doing with it. And from that point in time, Green Jackets shifted from being a kind of weird, dark, psychedelic thing, which is what Fuchikomine is drawing from, into being very family-friendly heists like the Castle of Cagliostro, which I also like very much, don't get me wrong, but it's a very different tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Woman Called Fujikomine is also interesting because the Lupin franchise is not known for its adventurousness. Or rather, it's become known for kind of a stayedness because the original series, the original manga, um, and Green Jacket were both kind of adventurous in that, you know, it was the first manga for adult or the first anime for adults. It shifted and became that Miyazaki thing halfway through. So it was trying to do a lot of different things and change the landscape of anime. You know, Secret of Mamo, the first Lupin film, is very different from Castle of Cagliostro, which is different from Lupin the Third Part 2, which is the 150 episode one that everybody remembers, which is different from New Lupin the Third, which isn't a good series, but wow, it is weird and interesting to look at if you want a potted time capsule of the 80s, and I kind of love it. <laughs> That's uh, Pink Jacket? That is Pink Jacket, which is just the ugliest thing ever put onto an animation cell. It's hideous. <laughs> but it's interesting in its hideousness. And then a very bad thing happened, which is that TMS made this OVA called uh, Plot of the Fuma Clan, or uh, the, the Fuma Conspiracy is the English release, which I highly recommend picking up, especially if you enjoy Castle of Cagliostro. It's really super charming and cheap. Uh, but in the process of making this OVA, they TMS poured all of their money into the animation budget, which is really pretty, like feature pretty. And they fired Yuji Ono, who was the composer for part two and part three, and hired somebody else and also fired all of the legacy voice actors who'd been doing this for literally over a decade. Wow. And yeah, unsurprisingly, fans boycotted it and it didn't do well. But TMS did not take from this, hey, maybe treat your maybe treat your cast with respect and dignity. They learned from this, never do anything new and interesting ever. Lupin fans always mm. want you to do the same thing. And and so pretty much everything from the late 80s onward is kind of this slow slide into samey mediocrity, which wasn't helped mm -hmm. by the fact that there was a, it became this event where you would have a summer TV movie every year, mm. which got super rote really quickly. So when Fujiko Mine came out, it was a major change. It had these new character designs. Yuji Ono did not do the soundtrack. And it is the first and still the only time that the series has had a woman as either the director or the head writer. Which I have... You know, I went to look it up because I had assumed that this series also didn't do well. It's, pretty, it's very much a cult hit over in the United States. But the DVD set uh, charted for its first week in oh, the wow. top 10. Yeah. Oh, that's great. For, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it makes sense because um, I also I had somehow had the impression that it didn't do very well in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, maybe because Sayo Yamamoto didn't get a chance to direct her own show for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, but it did revitalize Lupin. Like it took a series that had been stagnant for a very long time and it 
brought in this new energy that has transferred to uh the incarnation since then mm-hmm. yeah um blue jacket no is it blue jacket now yeah, yeah part four blue jacket, blue jacket came part out four. um i guess a couple years ago at this point yeah, 2015. It's, um, yeah. it's fine. And you can you can very much feel the kind of jazzy style style of Fujigo Mine. Like it it carried over the aesthetic while kind of toning it back to that more family friendly um, shenanigans tone of the of the earlier Lupin incarnations. I think. Yeah, which which it does kind of depress me that um, part uh, Blue Jacket is fine. You know, I, I kind of like the dark the, either the the darker or the super cute uh, gentle variations on Lupin and th- everything in between is kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were two movies that used the same designs from Fujiko Mine, but had a different writer mm-hmm. and they are unpleasant. Um, oh, Jigen really? Dice case gravestone is really unpleasant. Like there's this whole sequence where Fujiko is naked and covered in like oil and menaced by a rape robot. And wow, it's <sighs> I'll avoid super that. awful. It's bad. It's kind of gay, but there are gayer series. <laughs> Every every Jigen backstory is kind of gay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm kind of a big fan of this franchise. I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen probably about half of what's collectively out there. And like I said, I, I prefer the really dark, weird stuff, and also the sort of Miyazaki leaning, the, the Miyazaki leaning really gentle stuff, because those tend to be the versions that at least do the most interesting things with female characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because out of all the characters, Fujiko is the one whose role in the narrative shifts a lot, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the director and the writer's own feelings about women. Yeah, well, and some of that is from the manga. Like, originally, Fujiko wasn't even a character. She was a joke that every woman that Lupin met was called Fujiko Mine, which is partly what was taken from for this anime of why she has so many different backstories but then that was eventually coalesced into one character who's written with no consistency whatsoever her name does her name also means twin peaks some, yeah it's a titty joke. it's a boob joke yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so that's a great start <laughs> great start for this this feminist anime we're talking about yeah um, right yeah, yeah well, I, I, so, this uh, is a story of overcoming i'm so disappointed that Stuff the stuff after this anime kind of just has shown signs of sliding right back into mediocrity because, like I said, Blue Jacket is fine, but there were those two really unpleasant movies. There hasn't been another female director or female head writer, and it's not like there's a shortage of them in anime. And also, the 50th anniversary project is just remakes of stuff from the original anime and the manga with like an anthology style of different animators. And it's boring. Thanks. I don't want it. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Part five is coming out in a few weeks, right? Um, isn't it yes, spring that's, season? Yes, that's uh, part of the spring season. Yeah. So I, I know you guys know a little bit of Lupin, but uh, where are you at with this series? Um. So I have seen Castle of Cagliostro. I watched episode zero. The gayest one. Good. Uh, <laughs> which, um, like... The woman called Fujiko Mine is uh, an origin story, uh, in case the name didn't tell you everything. And I, I've seen scattered episodes on Adult Swim. Mm. Other, my knowledge is not super extensive. Like I know the, I know the background. I know the mythology. Um, I know that Lupin and Jigen are pretty much husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. 
it, it's just, it's a harem. It is a full-on thief harem, and it's extremely good. Sorry, I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the extent of it. How about you, Dee? Um, so I had technically seen Castle of Cogliostro before Fujikomine came out. Um, but we were watching, we had like a big Miyazaki movie day, um, and it was wedged somewhere in the middle and we were hanging out and chatting. And so I didn't, I, I liked it, but I didn't have like a, it didn't really leave a strong impression or anything. Cause I had no context for the characters or really anything about it. Um, right. and then Fujikomine came out that spring of 2012, which was, um, streaming anime was really kind of starting to take off sort of end of 2011, beginning of 2012. Um, so I actually watched that one week to week on Funimation's website as it was airing um, oh, wow. without really any knowledge of the franchise. <laughs> like I knew it existed, but I didn't really, um, I, did, I was not, I honestly didn't even know the characters like Goemon showed up and I was like, oh, he's like a franchise character, I guess. <laughs> um, I was completely <laughs> blind, uh, more or less. Because, um, again, I didn't really remember Cogliostro either. Uh, so since Fujikomine, I have seen Cogliostro again. It's a great movie. Fujiko's very good in it, by the way. She um, is. So I also really like her it. in that movie. Um, yeah, I watched it when, they, when it came through in theaters uh, this past year. Um, I got to see it on the big screen, which was very cool. And then I watched part four when it came out. So I've seen Blue Jacket as well. Mm. Um, it was fun. I enjoyed it. There were some episodes I really, really liked and others that were pretty meh. Um, the ending was got too damsily for my tastes, but it was fine. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the, that's the Lupin experience, pretty yeah. much. I, I will uh, briefly say that on the subject of this coming out kind of at the beginning of the streaming boom, it's basically revitalized Lupin's existence here in the States mm -hmm. because of all kinds of legal shenanigans. It never really got a foothold here before that so that's something to be grateful for um the reason discotech has had such success in slowly dedicatedly bringing over every aspect of the franchise and putting it all on crunchyroll mm -hmm. you have this anime to thank that's very oh, cool yeah yeah they're sorry there's there's just a whole other podcast in the legal shenanigans surrounding this series and the fact that it's <laughs> fan fiction uh-huh <laughs> so, we can't go down that road there's already yeah. so much to talk about here. i was gonna say there's a lot there's a lot to talk about with the show proper so mm-hmm this is very much a show about awful people doing awful things. And before this is going to be a full spoiler cast. So if you haven't seen the series, I would highly recommend doing so before you listen any further. It's, it's a big twist based series. Mm -hmm. And I, I do want to warn that this series has multiple content warnings, like oh, a yeah. lot for uh, we'll, sexual. We'll tag it. We'll tag it on the podcast post itself too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just for reference, if you're thinking about watching it after having heard this first 20 minutes, it's got uh, child sexual assault, sexual assault, uh, psychological torture, physical torture, um, a lot of psychedelia and, you know, just, memory. Just Oscar telling Fujiko, calling Fujiko awful names. Oscar is a little shit and also my boy. He's he's the worst. He is like the embodiment of internalized misogyny. Yeah, this is this is kind of a show about assholes, um, with with a few mm -hmm. exceptions. I think I think Jigen's actually a pretty decent dude throughout this, and obviously Goemon is a big moe ball of goof. So oh, Moemon, um, oh Goemon, even Moemon's got like the biggest virgin horror complex. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like no, he's not a perfect character by any stretch, but he's he's kind of likable in that he's just very, you get the sense he's just so naive mm -hmm. that he doesn't even realize that he's mm -hmm. um, kind of putting Fujiko on this pedestal. So a lot of people, I, I did want to talk briefly that this is the way a lot of people became familiar with Yamamoto, myself included, because it, it was due to the success of this series that Michiko and Hachin was even brought over. So 
how is the, it, what what was it like to come back to this i guess after like yuri on ice took over the world um you know it does have like i know she doesn't like having yuri on ice sort of compared to her previous works you see shades of fujiko mine's themes in yuri on ice mm-hmm. i don't know if i would say the other way around because yuri on ice is a much more positive series in general there is a very strong sense of anger that comes from both Yamamoto and Okada. I think Mario yeah. Okada was the writer. No, Mario Okada was the writer, and mm-hmm. you can I feel her handprints all over this thing. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, it's. Um... I did an interview with her. You can read it on the site if you haven't. Um, I recommend it because with Yamamoto, she gave some... not Okada. Yes, just, with just Yamamoto. Um, because she gave me some really cool answers. Um, so you know when she made this show. Moe was still going very strong um, and most shows that featured female characters were sort of these pre-molded archetypes um, and that was really frustrating for her um, having to deal with it and you know so she wanted to make something with more honest um, and kind of uncomfortable depictions of women um, Mm -hmm. and something with more authentic uh, sexuality to it um which, you know, you can see, still see, like, the, the honest sexuality in Yuri on Ice. You can see in some of the um, secondary female characters the um, the uh, frustration, <laughs> the same sort of frustration with um, male expectations uh, that you that is all over the place in uh, Fujiko Mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh... J- Purely visually, there's also the uh, the Playboy sequence in Yuri on Ice th- with mm-hmm. the cutout, the black, uh, you know, the, the black silhouettes was right. first utilized here, and a lot of emphasis like uh, subtle body language, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of uh, showing, not telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, this show. I mean, maybe I'm biased because I wrote a lot about this show, but it, it definitely I mean, same. <laughs> benefits from from repeat watchings absolutely mm-hmm. I, I am amused by the fact that in an interview i think it was the one that wave motion canon uh translated she she mentioned that when she was offered the anniversary project she wasn't necessarily interested in lupon as a character and she only wanted to do it if she could look at fujiko a lot mm-hmm. i love her <laughs> so much um uh, she also she also did mention that she was the head of this project but it was very much okada's baby which I find, like you said, D, her handprints are all over this, yeah. especially with, with Oscar. Um, Oscar I feel and like. um, and I think I think uh, Aisha at the end, you can Very much. kind of feel it, especially some of the stuff with um, her relationship with her family and her mom, especially knowing now that mm-hmm. Okada's come out with her biography and we know that her home situation was very rough uh, growing up. Um, I think you mm-hmm. see a lot of those those themes in her work. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, the thing I always would say is like. You watch Mario Kata's work and you say, who hurt you? Yeah. And then you look at her autobiography and you say, oh, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of rawness in it. Um, But I think she, I think she tries to find, I think most of her work that anyway that I've seen um, still kind of tries to find like that, that light at the end of the tunnel, Um, Mm -hmm. which I think you even see with Fujiko Mine, although it's maybe a little bit, a little bit dimmer um, Mm -hmm. in some Mm -hmm. aspects. Yeah, and, and Okada gets dinged a lot for being melodramatic. I think it, it's popular to kind of poke fun at her for that. But 
and I think that's can be true when she does grounded series, but it's really at home here with the stylized kind of it story works structure. Very well, and just the the statement that the show is making because this is a show that has something to say. Mm-hmm. It it has a thought about a feminism, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is a good way I, as any to segue into the visual design, which. Uh, one of the first things you learn about this show is a lot of people were turned off because uh, there's a lot of boobs. My there God, all there's the so many boobs. All there's the boobs are boobs. in this show. <sighs> Every boob is in this series. <laughs> Every single boob. Which, which leads why... to a lot. <laughs> That's why they're not in the other anime is because they're all here. <laughs> yeah, and I think it confuses people who haven't seen the series why this is talked about as being very feminist because what do you mean she's naked all the time that is not a feminism and you know you can't say that that the very the very streamlined you know very disproportionate noodle designs are exactly like yes they're stylized but like they're not like ground not even like michiko and hachin which has like very realistically proportioned women in it but Mm -hmm. but honestly i'm so in love with the way this series portrays Fujiko specifically, but women in general. Um, this is one of the few times I have ever found an anime like genuinely attractive. Like <laughs> Fujiko is a very sexy character <laughs> um, be- because there's a very specific there's a specificity to the framing. You know when when she is naked most of the time, um, she is choosing to be naked in those scenes. She has the power in that situation. Um, and often she makes the people around her uncomfortable with her body rather than being there to be ogled at in that sort of, oh, she doesn't mind that she's naked, like, um, way that you see in a lot of, a lot of moe anime at the time. You know, it's not, oh gosh, she just doesn't know that it's not okay to not wear clothes and dudes drool all over her. No, this is very specifically, this is my body and I have power and I have the choice of what what I want to do with it in this situation. Mm -hmm. And it's a unique feeling. It's like when I'm just walking around my apartment naked just because I don't feel like putting on clothes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And there are so many boobs, but you almost become desensitized to the nonchalance with which they're shown mm-hmm. in, in a very deliberate way that yeah, I find and, interesting. And her, like, her body is rarely shown without her face. And when it is, it is usually through the lens of a male character. It's something that I think is very interesting mm-hmm. um, because the show does uh, engage with the concept of the gaze and the power of looking a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, the first time we see her, it is literally through Lupin's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she's just chilling out, being Fujiko, being naked, um, you know, it is very neutral um, when she is like when she is trying to use her feminine wiles to get what she wants or like, you know, there is a dude looking at her. Um, that is when it kind of focuses on her on her body without her whole her whole face yeah and the costume design to um yamamoto's work i can't imagine how it must be for the character designers uh but her characters very famously wear a lot of outfits and what's interesting about fujiko's to me is that all of her her clothes are really practical unless she's specifically trying to get somebody to sleep with her like they're always cute Uh, she mentions 
in an interview uh, looking at 60s L magazine stuff for fashion. Her clothes are really cute, but they're also very practical for heists. Like, these are things that she could move around in. And in what I think might be the f- most magnificent murder I can think of, she wears the famous cat suit that Fujiko became, like, iconically linked with when she is beginning to have a mental breakdown and lose her sense of identity. And that is the most cold-blooded murder I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I did not know yeah. that about the cat suit. I thought it was obnoxious that she had it zipped so low. Um, and now no, I that, know why. That's, that is, that's her that's classic most, outfit. Like, it's stone-cold murder. And it's amazing. I, I'm always surprised by people who say that this series... I think it shifted a lot, and this is no shade on just people who are like, this series totally didn't work for me. I prefer the the more lighthearted parts of the franchise. That's fine. But there are a lot of specifically dude bro Lupin fans who are like, this isn't a real Lupin series. It sucks. And it's to grim, dark and edgy. And I'm like, this series is chock full of like both visual and thematic references to the franchise. Mm-hmm. They did their ref- their, their research. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's definitely coming from a place of someone who is familiar with the series, someone who, um, has paid attention to the series and someone who really just wants to talk about Fujiko for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And, and just the very idea of centering your entire concept about the fact that this is an inconsistently written character that nobody actually gives a mm-hmm. shit about except as an object and or right. prize and or rival, you know, in yeah. relation to other people. Who is she when she's alone? Nobody knows. Nobody cared. Right. Fujiko at her at her worst was just a damsel or a sex object you know even i mean even at her most interesting she was you know the sneaky and trustworthy woman that you can't trust that like it's because she's a woman it's not yeah. because of who she is she's duplicitous because of her gender yeah well, well yeah. I really like her depiction in uh, Castle of Cagliostro because I, yes. I don't I don't yes. think those good. qualities are present. I think she I think she comes across as kind of a rival uh, sort of ally character who kind of goes out of her way to help this this other girl out, mm-hmm. and I really like that. Also, the scene where she's reporting and just turns around and clubs a guy in the face and then just keeps on reporting is yeah. maybe the best scene in that movie. So, it's so good, um, and it's it it's weird because like her relationship with Clarice is so kind of cute and refreshing, and. It feels like it should be in response to the specials that came after, despite it coming before, because so often the the annual TV movies will set up Fujiko as a contrast to the the good girl who Lupin is trying to woo in this particular right. go around, which sucks. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that's not that's not good. But yeah, no, I was just sorry. So we were trying to talking about how like the way Fujiko was portrayed in other stuff, and I was like, well, mm-hmm. I really like her in Cagliostro. So yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Miyazaki does great with her. Um, his his run on Red Jacket has an absolutely fantastic um, Fujiko sequence where, where she gets kidnapped and then just kicks a dude in the face, steals his machine gun, and, and like, mows down an entire ship full of armed guards while just, like, wearing a, a typical, like, island sarong. It's amazing. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked that you guys are saying that Miyazaki wrote a woman well. He is not I know. For that at all. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> but speaking of Miyazaki, I know that Caitlin, you wanted to talk about Lupin and Fujiko's relationship, and I think yes. Miyazaki's version is the closest to what's going on here. Yes, I think so. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Miyazaki episodes, um, but just going by uh, the uh, just go by going by Castle of Cagliostro, 
Um, there is a very real like affection there. She works independent of him. She'll work. She works alongside with him when it suits her. But like, there there is a sense that like, there there is there. I mean, there is genuine like. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a, a romantic, but I think like they do like love each other and they know each other really well and they care about each other. They just, you know, neither of them is particularly very good. Part well, Fujiko in particular is not super inclined to um working together with people unless there is absolutely definitely something for her to gain. It's been a while since I've watched Lupin, but um there's no there's not tension there the same way there is in this. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah, no there there is a sense that they are friends, that they love each other and they just kind of do their own thing and occasionally get in each other's way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also occasionally help each other out. Yeah, B- Miyazaki tends to favor that like an an all a more the sexless version of that kind of playful rivalry mm-hmm. but i think it's it, i think it's similar to what's going on here is like i think yamamoto called it them enjoying each other which is yeah. a lovely phrase yeah yeah i yeah i think it eventually gets to that point i don't think that's where it is in the early episodes i think the series no. sort of because early on especially lupon like very much sort of treats her as an object that he's going to take um mm-hmm. I mean, pretty casually gropes her during the Phantom of the Opera episode, and Mm. she is not happy about that, Um, which I'm pretty sure is why she then sends him to his possible death in the next episode. (laughs) Um, But again, there's that that. too. Like, she is more than happy to have Jigen and Lupin kill each other so she can get a stone bird. Um, But at the same time, the scene with them in the pool earlier in the episode... I I think what, what it's there, like, there is always kind of a tentative mutual respect fairly early on but it's not like a genuine uh, affection until much later in the series i would agree i would agree with that because i again i the there's a there's a certain callousness in the way they treat each other early on that i i think by the by the time they part ways in those final two episodes is no longer there um but again i find them both to be kind of assholes in the early going um i don't think well, they're they are assholes so they are assholes <laughs> I know. I mean, we had this. We we had this discussion a little bit earlier. Like they are, hundred percent morally gray. Like they are not good guys. They are self serving thieves. And yeah, Fujiko's a bad person, y'all. She's very interesting, and I like her. But all of these people are bad people, except maybe Moemon. <laughs> Even him. He's he he has been an assassin for hire for like a yeah. long time. The they they have a long history of being likable, and they're familiar characters but they're not good people they're not nice people they are not people who i would want to hang out with i I do feel like we have to talk about uh the one place where the series kind of shows its strings a little bit with the legacy characters i hate this version of zenigata like i get why it is what it Mm -hmm. is because the series needs it to be that way to work and like early zenigata is an asshole but it's the biggest departure from he's the goofy dad He's dad. Why is dad being a creep? Yeah, and I hear that one a lot. Um, I'm not super fussed over it because I see the role he plays within that the narrative and how why they needed him to be like that. 
and why mm-hmm. classics and Nagata wouldn't really fit. Yeah, no, it, it like it it makes complete sense to me narratively speaking, but like to me it's just the place where I I look at it as this is what the narrative needs needs him to do more than this is the completely understandable germ within the early incarnation of his character. Mm-hmm. Cause like early Lupin is straight up a rapist. Uh Zenigata's more just an asshole. Yeah. And in this one, he uses his power to get sexual favors. Wee, he's a dirty cop. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like you said, this he is the um each man in Fujiko's life kind of represents a version of ways men and women interact in, in mm-hmm. social systems and he's the guy who tries to take advantage of women because his power allows him to do so. so right. Yeah. Like each character, um, except for Lupin, um, has something that they want Fujiko to be. They have some assumptions that they're making about her. Um, and that affects her relationship with them. Um, you know, Jigen, wants her Jigen just sees her as a deceitful woman um, because they can't be trusted yeah yeah you can't trust women um so he doesn't trust her and I mean he shouldn't trust her I was gonna say is that a is that a Jigen character type like he just doesn't trust any women at all yes because that's not the vibe I got from this at all um Um, that is actually that is established within the show's mythology Okay. That well, Jigen does not. Yeah, Jigen like is is the jealous women. boyfriend who who gets yeah. really angry and grumpy every time Lupin goes after a girl. Um, like he, yeah. So they that's sort of gave really him... not the mm-hmm. vibe I get from Fujiko Mine with him. Um, Interesting for me in this in this version the vibe. And again, I come at this like as someone who really doesn't know the characters that well. And I think mm-hmm. part four maybe leans a little bit into everyone being kind of friendly maybe mm-hmm. um but i kind of saw it as like you know sort of especially early on lupon really sees fujiko as kind of a, a treasure to obtain and going on has this idea of her as this like girlfriend who kind of they can save each other with their love kind of thing um and like Vry said about zenigata um but for me jigan kind of looks at kind of treats everyone like a person in this show, I think. Um, I think he and Fujiko, I think Fujiko's an asshole, and Jigen's like, yo, she's an asshole, and you shouldn't trust her. And I don't think he's wrong. Um, he's absolutely but, not wrong. But then no, you, he's but not then wrong. You see him, but then you see him later with um, the living portrait, and he, and like, everyone's kind of, again, everyone around her is kind of talking about her like she's a, a work of art or a treasure to steal. And Jigen, like, immediately just treats her like a kid. He's like, this is fucked up, and tries to sort of connect with her as a human. Um, I thought that was sweet. So I liked Jigen in this version of the show. I did not know he was a straight-up misogynist based on his interactions with with, Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of female characters in in Fujiko Mine. I think that, and I think it's interesting how our context, like, the show's, how much we know the show's context. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm affects our perception because yeah i definitely like i see g and i know that he hates women historically so it's like well he sees fujiko as a woman who cannot be trusted he doesn't see fujiko as fujiko well and it's interesting because like neither of you is is wrong like because you know classic jigen is very much the the archetypal he-man woman hater herf i drink the manly whiskey 
Um, <laughs> and and then kind of one of the things I do enjoy about Latter Day Lupin is Dad Jigen, <laughs> which is what you kind of get in the Painted Lady episode. Mm-hmm. He, he is always the character who gets stuck uh, playing dad to young or vulnerable characters. So like, and he's also one of the most probably the most consistently written character across the franchise. So this is all very interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. No, that's true. Moemon is, is Moemon. It, it is interesting yeah. to me because when he's first introduced um, in Green Jacket, Fujiko is pretending to be his girlfriend. So right. it's like an entire legacy joke and it's good and also very cute. And I ship <laughs> they it. Had to, they had to sort of start that up. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like you said, Fry, he has like a hardcore, uh, he has a whole virgin horror complex. Um, so like, it's not that he doesn't care about Fujiko. Like he, when she is falling apart, he takes her in and he takes care of her, even though she literally throws the food he gives her in his face. But at the same time, he is thinking, oh, she's a wicked woman. She deceived me. Um, I thought she was, you know, this wonderful ideal, and actually, she's kind of she's she's kind of a whore. Um, he wants her to be Maria. He doesn't like Fujiko. He wants Maria, and he calls her Maria even after she tells him her real name. And so he doesn't really like get to fully participate in her conclusion. You know, the one who gets to, the one who stays by her side and sees this thing to the end was Mm -hmm. the one who, was the one who took the time to figure out what was going on, who stood beside her, who tried to, like, actually genuinely understand her. And, you know, he says, like, when the owls come, like, hey, what's going on? Um, He's like, it's not about, like, trying to steal her anymore. I, I'm just, I just, like, care about her as a person now. Everyone else, like, sees her in a certain way because of, like, their own perceptions. And Lupin, like, actually, like, takes the time to learn about who she is, to figure things out when, and when she can't do it and give her the help, you know, that she needs to stand back up on her feet. Which I will admit, the first time I saw the series, I was a, my eyes rolled. Oh, a same, bit. and I think that happens to everyone because it's like, why is why is Lupin taking over? Why is Fujiko no longer the main character in her own story? And then like the mm-hmm. twist comes, and you realize that it was all for a reason. God, the, the meta story of this anime. <sighs> Is so very I good. It. I was gonna say, I'm do so you guys do you guys want to go into that? Um, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So the meta story, there's a lot there. <laughs> so it it would appear um, the the series presents itself for most of its run as being the kind of typical dark and gritty reboot where you go to an established character and give them a grim dark backstory mm-hmm. of that explains why they're She's doing things. Mysteri- why um, why does she steal? What? What mm-hmm. happened to her? Why is she this mysterious right. and beautiful character? And the theme songs support that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, if you saw Maleficent in the past few years, uh, or Wicked, you uh, know exactly mm-hmm. the series, the kind of story that we're talking about. Right. Um, um, the way my friend uh, Nick put it, um, that I will ne- have never forgotten, is the woman called Fujiko Mine asks the question... Why is she like this? 
And then it answers the question, because fuck you, that's why. Uh, but it, so it turns out, you know, it transpires at the end that Fujiko does not, in fact, have a dark and troubled past. She has somebody else's dark mm-hmm. and troubled past. She was uh, captured by a young woman named Aisha who was who was um, sold as a young girl. Her parents, her, her father was killed. Uh, she was in the uh, she was the property of a horrible pedophile who physically, sexually and emotionally tortured her. And it, the whole experience left her because he was trying to create his perfect maiden. And the experience left her unable to walk, but rather than once he died, unable to like let go of her trauma or move on from this trauma, she decided to, you know, continue to forward that trauma onto other young children uh, and use them as means of trying to think about the life she might have lived. Right. Um, And it's just like, it's like, there's, there's so much there. Like, there's just so much there. Like, talking about like the cycle of abuse like she doesn't know what else to do but in to inflict that abuse on other people and try to live vicariously through them and also like the way that men control women's stories mm-hmm. and and edit them and put as much trauma in them as though it will make women more deep and perfect and then they can save them and understand how right. deep they and are wi- and when women try to get out of line men have to bring them back into line like you know, uh, Luis Yu, Almeida, Aisha, she set Lupin on Fujiko. Um, mm-hmm. Because Fujiko was not acting in line with what she wanted. Right. And at the same time, internalized misogyny because Aisha is so mad that Fujiko isn't broken mm-hmm. by by these events. Yeah. Oh, there's so many oh, layers. Oh, so good. D, D, what do you think of the meta, yes. meta narrative? Um, I think it's a good meta narrative and I appreciate it. I, I agree with what you guys said. I I I know you guys love this show and I like it. I do. It's very good and I appreciate it very much on a critical level. Um I mm-hmm. think this is one of those shows that is just not really made for my fictional sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, A, Fujiko is an asshole, so it's kind of hard for me to root for her, especially after that school episode, which we haven't really talked about. Um, but yeah. she does sexually assault teenagers who she's their teacher at the time. So oh, yeah, it's bad. It's real hard for she's... me to give a shit after that. And I, again, I like Fujiko and the other incarnations of her that I've seen. So I came into the show with, with kind of a positive um, feeling for her, and I did not remember that school episode at all. I halfway think I maybe accidentally skipped it when I was watching this mm-hmm. the first time through because that really smacked into me on this watch along and I'm not sure I'd have kept watching if I had seen that episode when it was first airing um Mm -hmm. like that's how that's how Mm. how much it put me off the character um Mm -hmm. the other thing is as much as I adore the series kind of smacking down that idea that someone needs to be traumatized in order to you know be kind of an asshole or you know be a thief or uh, have casual sex with people or what have you um Mm -hmm. I the fact that Fujiko doesn't have a backstory at all. She appears to have sprung fully formed from the womb, um, wanting to steal things. Kind of mm-hmm. is is disappointing to me as someone who likes mm-hmm. character stories and likes to know what your history is. And the history doesn't have to be trauma, but it's like what did get you into thieving? Because that's not a career. Most people don't take things from other people for fun. Mm-hmm. Um and I say this as someone who, what, three months before Fujiko Mine came out, uh, had gotten burgled. And it's a terrible experience. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure I'm coming off of that as well. 
No, I mean, I have, I have had that happen too. And it was awful and traumatic. Um, I just think, you know, uh, and I mean, I am, this is not to discount what you're saying. Like, um, but you know, I always thought of it as, you know, we don't, I mean, we don't know Lupin's backstory. We don't know Jigen's backstory. We don't know Goemon's backstory. Like everyone just kind of, you know, everyone accepts them. Like this is who they are. You know, we only impose the need for, um, I mean, I guess we kind of know Lupin's backstory. He's the, you know, grandchild of a famous French thief, but like, I thought, I guess what it is for me is we get some hints about everybody mm-hmm. else's sort of situation in this show. We get, there's this, and there's this, and again, I think this is kind of an interesting idea is that you, it seems like everyone is kind of trying to escape or is bound to their mm-hmm. past in some way. Like Lupin, then talks about how like the blood between him and Lupin means that they will always be chasing each other. And one of them will always be a thief and one of them will always right. be a cop. Um, so you have that kind of, uh, family history there and then with Jigen um we kind of get a little bit of like we don't know why he became a bodyguard but um we kind of get a sense of like how he becomes a thief is you know this this situation that happens with his old job and then there's hints with going on that he like fake, faked his own death or something mm-hmm. and had to leave Japan um so we get these like hints of like how these how the, the other characters got to where they are and I think it bugs me that we don't get anything really with Fujiko um, so it ends up, there's a sense at the end where, um, I like that they reject the damaged woman narrative. I wish they had given me something to hang on to because at this point mm-hmm. she kind of just feels like a mysterious woman to me. Um, and I don't, See, that's I don't, interesting. again, that's not, that's not my style of, that's not the kind of storytelling I really enjoy. So I found it a little disappointing at the end when it was like, no, I've actually just always been like this. And I'm like, what does always mean? How did you get into that? What drew you to this lifestyle? Like, it doesn't have to be traumatic, but I wish there was something. Right. Because I mean, because, you know, I, I thought that I felt like the opposite of the show was like, that was the opposite of the message of the show to, you know, that it was kind of smacking down this idea of, you know, she's a mysterious woman. um, Because, that had been set up over and over throughout the show that creating this like sense of mystery, not just around Fujiko, but around like every other woman that, you know, they're all damaged or traumatized or uh, something or other. And then it's like, you know, so of course you expect that out of Fujiko. And then she's like, no, this is just who I am, you know? And like, I guess I can accept that she was a girl who realized she could, use her body to get what she wanted who enjoyed using her body to get what she wanted and uh just and that she liked pretty shiny things and so she was going to pursue that like you know i was willing to sort of accept that about her no and it, it it is very interesting because on the one hand i can't not look at this series from a mm-hmm. franchise perspective where where I'm sitting at like this is an interesting meditation on the fact that the characters are always in the that comic book time eternal now where they're the same age and design but in 2008 what they have iPhones now that's weird and unsettling <laughs> um and also you know there are many different origin stories most of which are contradictory mm-hmm. um in in that kind of killing joke way or the fact that there is there's this o- OVA that left me feeling kind of the same way you do about about 
Fujiko here, which is uh, uh, called Green versus Red, which basically posits the idea that the reason there are so many different contradictory images of Lupin is because Lupin is more title than person. And mm. I hated that. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> Um, because why am I investing in them if they're not really characters with bonds that I care about? But left me kind of in a similar place to where you ended up. And and I think it's, you know, obviously, I I do think this series is genuinely critically good, but also I have no distance from it whatsoever. <laughs> so I, I don't want to step over you. Because, like, on the one hand, this is very much a series st- steeped in franchise lore, but it's also meant to work as an, as an intro and prequel for people. So mm-hmm. that's... A valid feeling if you if you felt alienated at the end yeah i mean i obviously i wouldn't it's not like it alienated me from the franchise because i then picked up blue jacket lupin when it came out so clearly there was something mm-hmm. here that that i was attached to and wanted to hang out with these characters some more um it's just one of those things i talk sometimes in media about um it functioning on both a lower and a higher level and i i kind of hate that i use those terms mm-hmm. because it makes it sound like there's a tier to it and i don't think there is Um, Mm -hmm. but what I mean by that is like, you have, you maybe have like a more meta or thematic level of like what the story is trying to do. And I think Fujiko Mine accomplishes that, that level, like exquisitely well. Um, but then you also have kind of a lower level, which to me is that if people who maybe aren't digging into those themes and are just Mm -hmm. sort of enjoying a story about characters in some kind of a world at face value. Um, I talk about one of the reasons I like flip flappers so much is that it's also, it's this really nice coming of age story about these cute girls going about these, not, I didn't mean cute girls in that sense about these fun girls going on adventures together and having this cute Mm -hmm. little romance. Um, but then it also has all this thematic and metaphorical, uh, illusions and things going on on this upper level that you can kind of enjoy both sides of that story. Um, and my, the thing with, and again, I don't want to yuck any yums because I do think this is a good show and this is not even really a critique. This is just like kind of a personal reaction. Um, for me, it does not succeed as well Mm. on that lower level because I got to the end of the series and I don't really feel like I know Fujiko any better than I did at the start. Okay. I see what Mm. you mean. Well, it's because I, I saw a lot of a more virulent version of that reaction with um with with you mostly like long term long-standing gatekeeping lupon bros mm-hmm. who were like what's the point she doesn't actually have a dark and tragic backstory this whole series was pointless and i'm like no it wasn't but like the way you phrase it, right. it it makes more sense of like i don't know this character right like there is a sense of who fujiko is but yeah like it it, it doesn't give us a sense of exactly what makes her tick other than that she likes shiny pretty things and she likes sex which, like, I'll be honest, every time this series has tried to do a definitive backstory, it's been bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, like, the 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 meta level of the series is just, like, it worked for me so, so strongly. Like, the moment where she stands up and she says, like, this is the story of the woman called Fujiko Mine. Like, it just, like, oh, it, like, it was overwhelming the first time I saw that. Like, it mm-hmm. just absolutely blew me away like literally just like walking around my living room talking about it for like an hour afterwards like it hit me so hard that I honestly like I didn't even think about it anymore uh, about you know that mm-hmm. sort of um, surface level because the surface level it is important like definitely like there are shows where where I have had the opposite reaction where I'm just like this, I, this, I'm not into this. This doesn't work for me. And people are like, Oh no, no, no. But the, like the, the meta. And I'm just like, I don't care about the meta. I couldn't connect to it. 
So I definitely, I see where you're coming from. Um, I just, you know, I guess it just, it parts of it worked for me that didn't work for you. And that's fine. Like, you know, it's well, okay and to I, disagree. I do think it's, um, I also think it's, it might kind of be an interest of Yamamoto's, mm -hmm. this idea that your backstory is less important than the person you are right now and like what you do in the now and that's who you are. Because th there are definitely traces of that in both Michiko and Hachin and, and right. Yuri on Ice. But at the same time, it's not, it's not a failing to like, to not like that kind of story structure or to find it unsatisfying. That's not a failing. Yeah, no, like, it is not a series that works for everyone, and that's fine. Um, I know people who couldn't get... I mean, I would... And I mean, again, do not get me wrong. I recommend this show to people. I mean, I... I there's a lot... I think there's a lot really good going on here. I can put on my critic, my critic, my critic's hat, and, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about the uh, good stuff it's doing, for sure. Um, it's just... I, I don't think it's ever mm -hmm. going to make a favorite yeah. list for me. And that, that's, that's kind of all I meant, was just on that kind of, kind of gut, visceral level of, like, I'm super invested in these people. It never quite pinged right. that way for me. So. Yeah. Fair. That's all. And again, not even really a criticism because that's completely subjective. Mm -hmm. Just something yeah. that, uh, you know, you guys asked me my opinion and then it all sort of just spilled Listen, out there. Listen, it's end. okay to disagree. No, I'm really glad. <laughs> I'm really glad yeah. that that uh, I do, uh, of the point that, like, I think you have really strong actual uh, critical opinions on, I saved talking about Oscar for last because I'm just a big old ball of feelings, but why don't we start with the school episode? Because I know you want to talk about it. I mean, I feel like I kind of already mm -hmm. did. I think it's a really bad off-putting episode. Um, I think there, I think it's, again, I think there's some interesting stuff in there, but the series seems like it really kind of glosses over what to me is a pretty awful thing that happens in terms of Fujiko sort of uh, fucking with these teenage girls. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least people she thinks are teenage girls. Um, and it just, it was just very viscerally unpleasant to me and made it really hard for me to give a shit about what happened to her after that point. Yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair. I think it is the ugliest episode of the series. I personally would also think it's one of the best in terms of what the series is doing. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely, um, I don't know, I've been able to sort of just sort of accept like, Fujiko's not a nice person like what she's doing isn't right but also like she does a lot of stuff that's not it, right she also kills people no like and it, it, I, it's yeah, a, it but I think I think there's this I think there's this there's this element in a lot of the other and a lot of the other episodes where she's manipulating somebody or she's you know being or she's threatening or being really crass with somebody who is not a good person and mm -hmm. kind of has it coming um, mm -hmm. and these are, these are just kids. These are teenagers at a school who are kind of, some of them are kind of shitty, but right. I mean, to me, it's, it's very, it's, it's a very different context. And I don't know if the series quite acknowledges that it's, it's just right. different. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Um, cause yeah, it's unquestionably wrong that mm -hmm. she's hitting on these students and, feels up Oscar, who she may or may not know is Oscar at the time. To this day, mm -hmm. I'm genuinely unsure. Yeah, it's really unclear. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, there's... I, I would not argue with you on that front at all, and, and being off-put mm -hmm. by it is completely understanding. It's also the episode where with the rape scene, um, which may or may not be a penetration scene, but is still very much yes, an assault. Which I find mm -hmm. real, the framing of that really interesting. The fact that it's obscured whether or not it's a 
a penetrative mm-hmm. rape or if it's just, you know, the assault of her her consent and, and her body. Um, I like that the framing of that is, is very much, it doesn't matter whether real rape happened. The fact is that her control of her body was taken away from her and that's yeah, awful. Yeah, it's really traumatic. funny though. When she wakes up, she like kind of looks yeah, that and scene is also her reaction seems to be more, God damn it. Did he have to make a mess? Yeah. <laughs> like she seems... It it is a weird and a weird. She seems reaction. more exasperated that he has just uh, dumped wine all over her, than the fact that he tied her up and assaulted her. Like, I don't know. Like, I've had no problem accepting that as part of the just the ethos of the show. It's these two characters who are foils at their mutual worsts. Mm-hmm. I think, and it's interesting how the sh- the epi- various points of the episode at least to me, play with shifting sympathies between mm-hmm. them as they fuck each other over in genuinely horrific right. ways. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think maybe what maybe what maybe bugs me most about that episode is uh, it everything awful that Oscar does in that episode is framed very much but from the music to the to the cinematography to everything. It's framed as awful. Like mm-hmm. you're watching it and you're cringing and it's super uncomfortable. Um, the stuff with Fujiko and uh, the the girls, especially when um, the girl Oscar is uh, pretending to be, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, Isolde. Um, Isolde, thank you. Um, is framed much more as kind of like sexy and cool and look at this relationship, look at this nice relationship they're developing. And I think that's, that's what was off-putting to me about it is it did not feel like they were playing that as uncomfortable. Right. No, that's yeah, that's entirely fair. Like, and I, I don't want to sp- speculate, but it, the way it's framed, it feels like it doesn't think of this. As, it it do, the the show doesn't think of it as awful, but like as as harmless mm-hmm. and transient, which is kind of an element of queer stories. I wish would go away. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're not. You're right. You're it right. It felt like the episode was kind of trying to engage with like the class S genre, but um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so she and flip flappers did it a lot yes. better. No, I, so. I think we can agree on that. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the. The head, the head student girl is Nanami, basically. <laughs> um, That's fair. And and it's like, yeah. But I, it, my my thought, like, it is a very pretty episode. Like, it's very very well directed, and like, it has a lot of visual impact, um, which I think made it an easier pill for me to swallow. Um, mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, the bad Cuba episode. <laughs> Which is the worst, the worst episode. episode of the series, yes. Um, so, like, I don't, I mean, I don't have a good reason for it not bothering me. Because these are things that in fiction do tend to bother me. Um, but, you know, it's like when we had our discussion of age differences. Like, you know, D could sort of file... Tatsuya and Yui like sweep you could sweep them under the rug and while Vry and I were like Ugh. you know like it's mm-hmm. it's not a logical thing like it, sometimes you look yeah. at it and you it, react and sometimes you look at it and you just sort of intellectually go oh that's bad but also I, I don't know yeah. very much what's going on here I think because yes objectively you're correct it's bad it's such a it's pretty bad. episode though the, the actions on hand are bad Oh, it's so pretty. Oh my god, I died. How pretty it is. Also, like, the 
the the scene with Fujiko and quote unquote Isolde before it turns into a rape scene is like a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I really desperately need Yamamoto to direct God, a Yuri series about adults. <laughs> I would die. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, moments in this show, which again, I think maybe is why it doesn't uh, maybe resonate me with me as strongly as it could. I think there's a lot of moments in this that are very much the uh, camera spinning to look directly at the audience that the original comic was targeted at, which is, you know, straight men. Um, and I think the ending theme is, is one of those moments. Um, and then obviously the, the finale, when we get, uh, Fujiko kind of also looking dead into the camera and being like, no, this is who I am. Uh, I don't care how, what's the line? Like, no matter how many, uh, no matter how many past you try to give me, I'm still me something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, and I think there's a lot of moments where the series kind of does that. And I think that's great. But like, um, when you were talking about the ending theme privately, I went, I had not noticed that either. And the reason I hadn't noticed it is because the ending thing would come on. I'd catch one shot of an underage girl in like lingerie and I'd go, I don't want to watch right. this. And would just immediately <laughs> look like I would just stop watching. Um, I like the song. So I would usually let it run, but I'd be like looking at my phone or something. Um, so then when you said that I actually sat and watched the whole ending, I was like, oh yeah, this is super uncomfortable. But again, it's that, it's that element of like, you know, who's, who's the camera kind of uh, looking at and pointing towards and, and what, you know, what audience is it directing mm-hmm. this stuff at? So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, de- definitely. It's not a subtle show. I don't no. think, which, which I think it's fair to critique it for. It's, it's Mario Kata. It's as subtle as a brick to the face. Like I the, think sometimes um, that's totally okay. Though. Yeah. I um, mean, I think yeah. stuff like, like I have a, a, one of the things that, like, one of my maxims is even if it's ironic, it's still shit posting, and that applies to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Even if it's ironic, it's still fan service. So you have, like, mm-hmm. I feel like with situations like this, like, you know, because that was one of my big issues with Tiger and Bunny is I would be like, guys, the fan service in the show, and they're like, no, 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 they're calling it out. It's ironic. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> They call it out, but then, <laughs> no, it's not. but then they also like do things like showing shots of Blue Rose with her head not visible and just lingering on her body. Like, um, so like with stuff like this, I feel like if you're going to specifically address this, like you can't be settled because then like if the layer gets lost on some people, like it has failed. Um, if you are calling out fan service then like you have to be like hey you like this picture of a naked lady well you suck because of that mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's always interesting to me because my favorite part of the show is so subtle that literally i had to start a blog to talk about it that is very true else. um which i do believe brings us to what i think we should now call the chichiri hour which is when a <laughs> character ta- was when one of us talks for way too long about a character we like way too much Rai, would you like to talk about oscar <laughs> oh my god i love this boy <laughs> uh, he might be my favorite anime character oh. now just because i've spent so he long he sucks though just he does. He's a piece of shit. He's awful. He needs so much help. Please, someone help this awful boy. He just um, wants Zenigata yeah, to I tell really... him good job. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I think it's because to we never find out how old Oscar is. But to me, he reads as like 17. Yeah, he like reads that, young. That, I agree. Mm-hmm. Like very much the teenage prodigy who got 
through the ranks, partly because of hard work, like he's genuinely smart, but also nepotism. Yeah. Also, Zenigata basically adopted him. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, he is genuinely awful, but it's a combination of factors that I feel like he suffers in proportion to his awfulness throughout the series. And also, he is a child, and I can see all of the factors that produced his shittiness and gave him no options to stop being shitty. Like, um, mm, right. his, his misogyny is very, very clearly learned from Zenigata. The guy who raised him, like, just looking at the way he treats Fujiko, the way he talks about Fujiko and other women, mm-hmm. I, I wonder where he learned this. Um, yeah. And then, we, we haven't touched on it, but this series is very definitively a period piece. It, it's set in the early 1960s, which mm-hmm. is, like, the heyday of shock treatment and frontal lobotomies for gay people in, asi- in asylums. So that's plenty of incentive for this small gay boy alongside of his toxic masculine uh, misogynist dad to stomp down real hard on those feelings and just be angry at the world and angry at himself and angry at women for getting to smooch the dudes Mm -hmm. he can't smooch. And also the fact that he is also dealing with repressed memories in a way that's never overtly deal with or addressed and no one helps him. Nobody helps him because he's a guy and guys should be able to man up and take it themselves. So he's just, to me, his awfulness is meted out by the punishments he gets and how just pathetic and sad he is. that the show was trying to say that he needs help and no one's trying to help him? Or like, I, what do you think they were aiming for? I do. Like, I, I genuinely do. Um, because, because of what we know about Okada now and just because of the way it reads and because this is a story about stories, um, you know, his, he is initial, I almost stopped watching the show after Feast of Fools. I'm, I'm very lucky that I actually binged this series all at once, like right after it had finished, um, because I almost stopped watching when it seemed like he had fallen into the dead gaze trope. Yeah. I, in my memory, he did die. Um, I had forgotten that he technic that he survives. You just have no idea what happens to him. Yeah. And like, I feel like in this show that is so very much about stories and narratives and who controls who that's on purpose. The fact that he is not neatly shuffled off once it's no longer convenient and he's had his big tragic breakdown that's convenient to the plot. He's just at this loose end um, and he's, broken and sad and Zenigata like has a brief half after in the same episode where Zenigata has spent like this big two-parter talking to Fujiko and how Fujiko is so fragile now and she needs his help and he has to look after her he makes like this one half-assed offering to his adopted son of hey stop I'll help you after he's clearly had a mental Mm -hmm. and emotional breakdown and undergone untold amounts of trauma and it doesn't work because a fucking course it doesn't work. It's half-assed and way too late. It, it, it just feels very on point to the fact that, yeah, he was always a little shit, but if he had had options available to him, he might have turned out better. No, I agree with that. I think the series, I think the series frames Oscar as a sympathetic villain. Um, I think he, I think he does have a villainous role to play um, in a lot of scenes. He does some pretty fucking awful stuff as we've yep. discussed. Yes. Um, but it's also, but they also kind of ground him in this sense of he genuinely loves Zenigata. Um, I mean, and he seems he, to have when, no other relationships. No, 
Um, and so like when, you know, and I don't necessarily, and I don't just mean that in the sense like, oh, he's obsessed and possessive, which I mean, he is also obsessed and possessive, but like when he thinks Fujiko is torturing him, like he does not hesitate to give up the case. Like he's so, he's in so mm-hmm. much obvious anguish from that, that you definitely believe that, you know, those feelings yeah. are genuine. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Bri. I think, I think the way they, they tell his story is uh, really interesting and complex. I find him more interesting than Fujiko, if I'm being completely honest. Um, yeah. Well, he has, a ba- he has a full story. He, he has a backstory. He has a present. He has, an he has that tragic well, backstory. And he's a, and, well, not mm-hmm. just that. I mean, it's not really a tragic backstory. Um, he has a backstory. Um, but I mean, I think it's also the fact that we we're allowed to see him not just at his worst, because we definitely see Fujiko at, at some of her worst moments. But I think the fact that we're allowed to see him as uh, sh- openly showing affection and vulnerability um, mm-hmm. makes a big difference to me in terms of humanizing people. Um, by the end of the series, I get the sense Fujiko likes Lupin. I don't. I've other than when she's having a breakdown caused by false memories, which doesn't count, um, we never we never really get to see Fujiko raw. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. true. The way she kissed that screw at the end kind of gave a <laughs> <laughs> kind of gave a hint that she has some like. Yeah. And like, I think I, there's, I think Fujiko is the kind of character, and I, I think this is built into her character too, who maybe never personally lets herself get too mm-hmm. terribly attached because I think she does really, um, obviously, like, I think freedom and agency are a huge thing for her. So I think we don't necessarily see her openly expressing like emotional attachment because of that sense of like, well, I want to be able to go and do whatever I want whenever I want. Um, so I get that. Again, it's just, it's just, again, mm-hmm. it's that sense of like getting a feel for who this person like really is and Fujiko always kind of slides right. out of the way right before you maybe get a sense of, of that um which is an interesting way to write a character but it makes yeah. it harder for me to sympathize so, like the way I think it's she's sort of a power fantasy I mean she is a power fantasy mm. yeah um yeah so like that's yeah no that's I, true. I mean that's definitely that's the way yeah, I, I guess I feel about her is like I mean I don't want to be like Fujiko uh, <laughs> but like, no, but now that you say it, I, I, I think you could you could make an argument that um, the type of story that Fujiko and Oscar have are gender swapped. Interesting. Yeah, like, I mean, I think I see yeah. what you mean. No, I, I, I yeah. can see it. Um, but like, I mean, that that I, I know we were talking about Oscar, but it did like kind of step into my head. Like the no, no, carry on. We don't see Fujiko. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know genuinely vulnerable the reason we don't see her like in a moment of true weakness as opposed to um you know just falling apart because of her uh implanted memories is because like i said she's a power fantasy like she takes they try to take the power away from her and she takes the power back um and -hmm. i think that is something that a lot of women feel like they cannot do that they have been disempowered and they don't know how to reach for it and take it back. And they don't have the alleys they need. Like Fujiko has, like Lupin acts as a true genuine ally to her. Um, When she is coming apart, she doesn't have the alleys they need to, um, to be able to find the ability to take that power back. Um, So yeah, I, I think of, Fujiko as a power fantasy 
she is for me like um so like and oscar you know is like you know this tragic figure um and i think he is you know that part of that is he is also jealous of the power that she has the fact yeah the 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 power that the only power that she doesn't see because she didn't have to take it is this uh, like this power she has as a straight woman right or an implicitly straight mm. woman if we don't include hitting on teenagers mm. go on i mean you mm-ed. that scene with uh Isolde slash oscar she seemed mm-hmm. pretty into it yeah no and, yeah well no absolutely i would buy but and um what's her name uh jegan's dead sad girlfriend Episode yeah two. yeah uh, like, there were there were also sexual implications to that scene as well oh no absolutely fujiko is a bi character but like structurally speaking she can move sure. through the world sure like a- as a right. okay yeah. yeah i will say uh, on the subject of um of fujiko kind of being vague there is that big old element of, of oscar that doesn't get where the fuck did he get that tattoo mm-hmm he has a big old honking tattoo on him. Yeah, it keeps feeling like they're going to address it, and then they never do. Um, but didn't you, Rai, I think you pointed this out. Um, isn't Oscar's tattoo very similar to the foot brands on Aisha? Yes, I, I am so deep in this that I honestly can no longer tell if it's just me having a string board or if it's honestly, like, was there all, like, because I came away from the show the first time with, the conclusion that oh this is what they were trying to tell us obviously um but nobody else but me seemed to reach that conclusion so i i don't know anymore um but i am dead convinced that oscar was also kidnapped and implanted with false memories which is why he's like a weird feral child before jumping off that bridge as a kid and why he has the tattoo that looks like aisha's foot brands yeah it's a solid theory yeah i've read that essay i think it's a great essay yeah. so i mean i i think that's a that's a totally valid interpretation and adds a really uh interesting layer to oscar's story and how like you said he's he kind of works as fujiko's foil and so you get mm-hmm. um these kind of parallels between the two of them well and there's there's also so much gender shit with him because like he's the story's it feels like the story is talking back to narratives about gay men from the 60s and 70s in western media and also now let's be real about how you know gay men just are secretly want to be women Mm -hmm. obviously so while fujiko is dealing with these ideas of being a woman traumatized by men um oscar is dealing with these memories as a as a man of well you're attracted to men you must actually be a woman and and the it's like a major part of his character i've mario kata very much. And like I've I've toyed with the idea of is he assigned female at birth and presenting male, which I think is interesting in certain ways, but I think I think the story and the themes hold better together if if he's assigned male at birth and and dealing with these as a cis these issues as a cis gay man. Yeah, I hear that. I I noticed that something that pinged on my radar when I was watching it uh with the dub was uh in that school episode, um, I started realizing they, they it seemed like they were making a point of avoiding pronouns with Oscar. And then I started mm-hmm. to kind of pay attention because they kept referring to him as the kid or that brat. Um, mm-hmm. And then it isn't until um, 
is I think it's Feast of Fools you said the episode is called where with mm-hmm. the with the what looks like it's going to be the tragic uh finale and then isn't um is when they finally start dropping like boy and he and I'm like okay all right there we go but it seemed like they were almost intentionally keeping that vague for a while which I thought was mm-hmm. an interesting uh choice yeah well I mean he is he is named after Oscar probably from Rose of Versailles which by the way there was actually a loop on the third Rose of Versailles crossover episode it sucks <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. It, it's really bad. It's it's full of no homo. Everybody thinks that that Lupin is is courting after a dude because Oscar. But obviously he he has this sense the whole time. He knows that she's a girl. No homo. I hate that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I Lupin's the most bisexual man alive. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> he does have a husband. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but yeah, there's so much interesting messy gender shit going mm-hmm. on with Oscar that you could probably write 50 billion essays which is why I will continue to be the the one man cheer squad for for this character nobody cares about somebody make me a figure those are my big loud messy feelings i could i could continue to talk about oscar but like i i feel like i got all the relevant things out yeah, we'll link to some tags and categories and stuff in the uh, Anifem post that hosts this podcast. So if you are listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else, um, you can go there if you want to track down some links and read some more exciting stuff on the woman called Fujiko Mine. Mm-hmm. Yes, do. Mm, yes. And oh, I, it's, I'm very excited to announce that uh, you can actually watch this series. It, it was kind of lost for a while, but uh, BRV has it. I mean, it's on Funimation. Oh, that's good. It's on Funimation. Um, it's been there for a yeah. while. Um, and since they have a deal with Crunchyroll, I'm sure it will eventually end yeah. up on Crunchyroll. It just isn't I, there yet. Well, I, I checked recently-ish, and it's only on Crunch or it's only on Funimation if you have an account. But yes, uh, do visit it, revisit it. If you haven't seen it already and you make it, made it to the end of this podcast, what are you doing? Well, we just spoiled all the twists for you. Hey, they knew. They knew. Mm-hmm. They knew. Mm-hmm. We told them before. So it's all good. It's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a nice one that's worth rewatching because you get a you get kind of a, once you know where the story is going, then rewatching it um, adds kind of different layers of meaning to some of the early events. So yeah, yeah, sure. and it 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 may end up not being you know I I don't think anybody can say it's it's not a smart series. It may end up not being for you because it it is very tonally dark and sometimes off putting. So, but but I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I have no critical distance. Right. Any last items that you guys wanted to bring up? It's a good series. Yes. Recommended. A little Yay. late in the game to be saying that, but yeah. I love it. Uh, it's, very, it's very interesting. There's a lot happening. It's like you said, it's a very smart series for sure. So yeah. Cool. Um, thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can always find more episodes and watch alongs and retrospectives on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash animefeminist. We have a Patreon, which is the way that we pay the bills. It really helps even dollar contributions really go a long way into making sure that all of our writers and editors get paid and so that we can do seasonal stuff like the premiere reviews, which are coming up, and there are so many shows this season. So many. So if you could go to patreon.com slash animefeminist, we would really super appreciate that. You can also talk to us all over the internet on Facebook at facebook.com slash animefem, on our website at animefeminist, or at www.animefeminist.com, where you can find more essays of the kind of stuff we do, or on Twitter 
at twitter.com slash animefeminist or on Tumblr at animefeminist.tumblr.com, which I stock the queue for. So, like, it's real gay. <laughs> uh, thank, you so- <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye.